Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 67, Conflicting Reports. Alright folks, enough with all that other. Let's go on and get started here as we continue the follow-up investigation on Shannon Street. Command post in the administrative offices of the school, and we're directly north of 2239 Shannon. A room on the east end of the school was set up for news personnel, and another room was set up for relatives and or witnesses they could aid, that could aid in, the, in determining how many people were in the house at 2239 Shannon. While on these events, while all these events were taking place, the writer was able to determine that the following events took place, which led to the situation at 2239 Shannon. On January 11, 1983, approximately 8.58 p.m., the police operator received a phone call from a male black who identified himself as Michael Coleman. According to the conversation, Michael Coleman indicated to the police operator that police officers had been by his home looking for him in regards to a purse snatch. Michael Coleman was calling the police to have them come by 2239 Shannon to straighten things out. As he told the police operator, he had not stolen anything. On January 11, 1983, at 9 p.m., Car 128 Patrolman R.S. Hester and R.O. Swill received the call to 2239 Shannon to see a complainant, Michael Coleman, in regards to a possible purse snatch suspect. The officers arrived on the scene at 9.04 p.m., and at 9.06 p.m., one of the officers calls for backup. At 9.07 p.m., car 128 calls for help. At this point, numerous cars were placed on the call, and patrolman T.W. Turner and B. Watson, both operating one-man cars, that's incorrect, arrived on the scene. These officers go to the front door and patrolman Turner kicks open the door and as he steps inside, he is fired at by an unknown male black standing in the hallway. As patrolman Turner draws his weapon, he is attacked from his left side and struck in the head with an unknown object, which is probably Hester's flashlight, which forced him back out the front door where patrolman Watson helped him seek cover. Not necessarily true. Simultaneously, as these events are occurring, Patrolman W.R. Akins is approaching the rear door of 2239 Shannon. As he entered, he is fired upon by an unknown male black, and Akins returns fire and empties his revolver, at which time he ran outside to reload over on the southeast corner. While Akins is outside reloading, Lieutenant R.B. Summers takes a position on the east side of the house and looks through the window of the kitchen and saw a male black crawling on the floor, at which time Lieutenant Summers shoots twice. At this point, Patrolman Akins re-entered the back door where he is confronted by a male black armed with a pistol coming from the rear bedroom, and Patrolman Akins fires six shots and then leaves the house. Once outside, Patrolman Aiken grabs a shotgun from an unknown male black officer and fires two shots from the shotgun. While Lieutenant Summers and Patrolman Aiken were exchanging gunfire in the rear part of the house, Reserve Officer 
Jay Norton is at the front of the house where he sees a male black in the front doorway in a crouched position with his arm extended as if he were pointing a weapon. Officer Norton fires four shots and then takes cover. Patrolman S. Hanscom, Hanscom, excuse me, I'm sorry about that, Stephanie, I mispronounce your name every time, is to the left of Officer Norton, and she fires one round at the front living room area with her shotgun. Sometime during this shooting, Patrolman R.O. Swill comes from the house and staggers towards the sidewalk where he's assisted by other officers, that'd be Winky Downing, helped him, and taken to the hospital patrol car. Patrolman Turner, who also sustained injuries, was taken to the hospital. It was determined that Patrolman Hester was still inside the house. That's actually not bad. That's pretty well correct, considering how chaotic everything is. All right, let's go on. It was determined by officers close to the house that they could hear Patrolman Hester yelling something to the effect that he was being held hostage and for everyone to move back away from the house and to quit shooting. On January 11, 1983, at approximately 10.40 p.m., the writer was advised that Patrolman Turner had returned from the hospital. The writer interviewed Patrolman T.W. Turner, IBM 8827, assigned a C-shift of the North Precinct. According to Patrolman Turner, he was en route to Chelsea and Bellevue, to meet Officer Norton routinely. Turner heard car 128 get the call to 2239 Shannon, and a few moments later heard car 128 call for a backup. Patrolman Turner, operating car 159, placed himself on the call and proceeded to 2239 Shannon. He stated that as he arrived on the scene, Patrolman R. Watson, car 129, also arrived quiet. Turner stated that they went to the door and yelled if anyone was there. Patrolman Turner stated that patrol car 128 was parked in front of the house with headlights on. They still got no response. He kicked the door open. As he stepped inside, he could see down a hallway and saw a male black figure run into the back room, which would be the northwest bedroom. As he looked to his right, he could see a coffee table with a pair of legs sticking out from under the table, wearing what appeared to be blue pants, and that would be Officer Swill. At this point, the figure that had run to the back room reappeared in the hallway, and an unknown male black fired once towards Turner. As Turner grabbed for his revolver, he heard a noise to his left, and as he turned, he was struck on the head with an unknown object. As he staggered, he believed he was hit again on his hand, which caused the cylinder of his revolver to come open, and as he staggered backwards out the front door, he dropped his ammunition on the ground along with his police radio. He stated he was aided by other officers to get behind cover and then taken to the hospital should be noted that the writer observed that Patrolman Turner was still in a groggy state. Turner advised the writer that he had received a large cut on his head and required stitches and that the medication was beginning to wear off and he was beginning to hurt. The writer ceased, I'm sorry, I'm sure it's supposed to be ceased interviewing. 
Turner at this point and made arrangements with his supervisor for him to be relieved of duty and taken home. Now, the relief of duty is... I'm not really sure why they did that, but... Anyways, at this point in the inter... I'm sorry, correction. At this point in the investigation, the above-mentioned facts were all that was known to the writer. That's actually pretty good. Now, I'm pretty impressed they got that much of it right in such a short amount of time. The writer, along with other members of the shoot team, set up a position in one of the classrooms of Shannon School, and it was decided that the shoot team would begin interviewing all officers involved in the original call, the 2239 Shannon. The writer met with Lieutenant R.B. Summers and requested a list of all officers who were on the scene. A list at that time consisted of Captain J. Randall, Lieutenant R.B. Summers, Lieutenant J.J. Rogers, Patrolman C.E. Colston, C.I. Woodruff, S. Hanscom. I got your name right that time, Stephanie. R. Aiken, S.C. Parker, H. Cunningham, L. Owen, S. Vidlage, R. Watson, and C.R. Canada. Uh, they left Kirk Renfro's name off of it. Ryder requested that Sergeant Collier, Hammers, Wheeler, and Patrolman Cooper to prepare to take statements from the above-mentioned officers. It should be noted that Sergeant Landers had been previously sent to the hospital to conduct the investigation of the injuries to Patrolman Swill. January 12, 1983, Sergeant J. Hammers took the following tape statements, which were witnessed by Sergeant R.D. Holder of Violent Crimes, Officers Stephanie Hanscom, C.E. Colston, C.I. Woodruff, and Lieutenant J.J. Rogers. January 12, 1983, Sergeant B.O. Wheeler and Patrolman D.W. Cooper took the following tape statements of Lieutenant R.B. Summers, Patrolman M.L. Carr, C.R. Canada, and S.C. Parker. On January 12, 1983, Sergeant Collier took tape statements from the following officers, Patrolman W.R. Aiken, R.V. Watson, and E.A. Vidlage. should be noted that these statements were all being taken simultaneously in different classrooms of the school. During this time, Sergeant Landers arrived from the hospital and advised that he had conducted a brief interview with Patrolman Swill, but that Swill had been sedated and the interview was short and brief. Well, I certainly hope so, since Swill was shot multiple times and beaten. Awful nice of y'all to make the interview short. Sergeant Landers advised that he took a tape statement from Patrolman R.B. And I'm not sure who that was. Oh, that's Oliver. I'm sorry, folks. I cannot read that the way that's, that typing is. It looks like they X something out. But anyways, that's uh, Randy Oliver from the West Precinct. He had driven Swill to the hospital. Sergeant Landers advised that he would submit a supplement regarding his investigation at the hospital, which would include a listing of all evidence confiscated the clothes of patrolman swill and a wound chart january 12 1983 while at shannon school sergeant landers 
did take a tape statement from Officer L.L. Owen. should be noted that during this entire time of statement taken, the negotiation team was continuously negotiating with someone inside 2239 Shannon. Well, to say they were negotiating is a nice term. It had been learned that this was the home of Lindbergh Sanders and that he had been treated for mental disorders. The negotiation team had also learned that there were several people in the house, but they did not know how many or what their names were. Throughout the early morning hours of January 12, 1983, the negotiation team received several reports of who might be in the house and as and as to whether there were any weapons in the house other than the two police service revolvers that they had taken from Officer Swill and Officer Hester. On January 12, 1983, the writer went to the command post of the negotiation team and talked to Lieutenant R.O. Parker. Lieutenant Parker advised the principal of Shannon Elementary School had given him some papers which had come from Lindbergh Sanders. These papers were pages from a Bible with certain scriptures marked. Lieutenant Parker gave the writer these papers which were later tagged in the property room. I never got to see those marked Bible pages. They would have been of interest, I'm sure. On January 12, 1983, 10 a.m., the writer interviewed Halo, folks, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, Robinson, Halo Robinson, Mel Black, 44, 4061 Battlefield, 372-7682. He's the principal at Shannon Elementary School for six years. Mr. Robinson stated that he had been at the school for six years and had seen Lindbergh Sanders on numerous occasions, but he had never talked to Mr. Sanders. He stated that on January 11, 1983, at approximately 11.30 a.m., Lindbergh Sanders walked from his home across the street to the school and gave him the pages torn from a Bible, which he gave to Lieutenant Parker. He stated that Lindbergh did not say anything to him. Throughout the day on January 12, 1983, the writer kept contact with Captain Don Lewis of the negotiation team, and all attempts were being made to determine who was in the house and whether there were any more weapons other than those of Officer Hester and Swill. At some point in time, Captain Lewis advised Ryder that they had a list of people who were possibly in the house, and this list included Pete Murphy on 7th Street, T.C., Bojack, possibly Jackie Young, Cassell Harris on Breedlove, Ben and Tim, Brothers, no last name. That Ben and Tim is probably going to be Michael Coleman's brother or brothers because Ben's the one that spoke to Renfro and Moon over at uh, Michael Coleman's mama's apartment when they came to take the purse snatch at Kroger's. Snoopy, Neil, Earl, Tyrone, Joe Nathan, and one who drives an old dart for a total of, I guess that's 11 people. It looks like they...
should be noted that the shoot team was assisting the negotiation team and was working with violent crimes officers. The writer advised Captain Lewis that all attempts had been made to determine who was in the house and as to what kind of weapons were in the house. Actually, that list they had of who they think's in the house, that's a pretty good list. Should be noted that conflicting reports were being received as to the number of people in the house and the weapons in the house. Reports were received that Lindbergh Sanders was an avid hunter and had numerous weapons, and on the other hand, reports were received from people who had been at the house and they had never seen any weapons. So, folks, that, that bears the question, if you get ready to have to go into that house, which report do you want to believe? Or which report should you believe? Well, you should always assume the worst and assume that he is an avid hunter and he has numerous weapons in the house. Sometime during the evening of January 12, 1983, information was received from Patrolman Vidlitz that he had located or knew a person who had information regarding who was inside of 2239 Shannon. According to Patrolman Vidlitz, his source indicated that the T.C. previously mentioned was T.C. Smith, and he lived in the Hurt Village area. Patrolman Village was advised to locate this individual and notify the shoot team command post when he did. On January 12, 1983, at approximately 9.30 p.m., the writer was advised that there were two male blacks at the school who wanted to talk to someone as they felt one of their relatives was inside 2239 Shannon. The writer did meet with Ronnie Triblett. Let's see here. I don't want to read all that stuff. And Ben Harris. Looks like one of them worked at the Peabody and the other one at uh, Methodist Central. According to Ronnie and Ben, they believed that Ben's cousin, Cassell Harris was in the house at 2239 Shannon. Cassell Harris was described as a male black, 20, 5'7", 135 pounds, clean shaven, and medium light brown complexion. According to the Ben and I had bed there, I'm sorry that threw me off. Ben and Ronnie Cassell had told them that Lindbergh Sanders kept several guns in the house but he did not know where. According to Cassell, Lindbergh collected guns. However, neither Ronnie nor Ben had ever been to Lindbergh's house, and they only knew that Cass- they only knew what Cassell told them. According to Ronnie and Ben, they had talked to the mother of Pete Murphy, and she told them that Pete had been in the house but had gotten out along with another male black TC and possibly another male black Squeaky. Ronnie and Ben advised the writer that they would attempt to locate Pete Murphy and have him come to us in order that we might be able to determine who was in the house. On January 12, 1983, at approximately 10.15 p.m., the writer was informed that several relatives of people believed to be inside 2239 Shannon were at the school and needed to be interviewed as to what information they could give. Most of the relatives had already been interviewed by members of the negotiation team, but it was hoped that they would have additional information. It should also be noted that the writers were informed that T.C. Smith and others had been arrested. 
The rider had Sergeant Collier, Landers, and J.F. Garner report to the security squad office to interview T.C. Smith and the other people with him when he was arrested. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode. I do apologize. I seem to be bumbling with my words more on this episode than others, so I will try to clean up my act, at least try to sound like I'm professional, which I, I did for the most part for 25 years. All right. Folks, as you can see, their their intelligence gathering is actually, I think, pretty good. They've got a pretty good handle on who's in the house. As you can see, that issue with the weapons is up in the air. You've got people saying there are weapons, there aren't weapons. But anyways, they, they, they look like they're doing a pretty good job on this. Folks, I do appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll get together a few days and do another one. Till then, I'll see you down the road.